and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Tabby, I am so excited to have you as my guest. And actually, as I've just introduced you, I've realised I haven't asked you, is it Tabby or Tabby? Tabby. Tabby. So you're, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, well, you're very, very welcome. It's fabulous to have you as my guest for the podcast. So let's start off by telling everyone what it is that you do. Mm, it's great to be here and I really thank you, Jules, for having me. Oh, my it means pl- a lot. Absolute pleasure. Um, We know that businesses are changing. The world is changing. We are becoming more aware about what inclusive actually means and it's all about. People want to be treated fairly Mm -hmm. and they are quite vocal about it and businesses can't shy away from it. So my business everyday inclusion is a one-stop shop using a framework to support businesses with a clear roadmap to guide their team to become inclusive, productive and competitive now for the long haul. All right. To really be able to sit within the changing um, world of, of work. Yeah, and I think it's really true because obviously I've started She's the Boss About Women through the pandemic, because I feel like there's this global movement happening and it's time for us to, you know, stop waiting for change to happen and to make it happen. Now, yours is yours specifically around racism or is it around all different types of, of, of inclusion? See, it's interesting that you've said that. We do live in a racialized society. Oh, boy, do we. I'm delighted <laughs> so- to have this conversation. <laughs> It is, racism is baked into the very structure of our society. Right. And so my inclusion business help organization to strip and really look into that system which racism is baked into. Now, so in actual fact, it's for everybody yeah. in the end. Absolutely. Because when you think about it, Racism affects black people. Mm -hmm. Black people are the lowest on that societal structure, that that illusional structure that we've created. And so if racism is dealt with, it's going to benefit everyone everyone else. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you talk to me a little bit, and and we're going to go into a whole lot of detail about you, but I'm just fascinated by this topic. And you know I saw your post on LinkedIn about racism and stopping it, and I was straight onto it going, oh, my God, let me help you. Talk to me a little bit about everyday racism. Can you talk about, give me some examples, because I'm sure – most Australians think they're not racist, and yet we know that, as you say, it is baked in. And in the same way that most people don't think they're being unfair to women, and yet it's everywhere. So can you give us some examples? Oh, it is everywhere, unfortunately. Our very societal or systems are created on a, a racist ideology. And this is why we are here and capitalism is part of that whole equation. Right. So I have spent a bit of time actually before my business studying 
and researching around racism and how it comes about. Right. So racism is alive and well. Um, I have personally... It's a sadly, sadly experiences in all my workplaces. Wow. is racism in microaggression at work is one of the most insidious because you can't always see with your naked eye, but it's there. Right. And those on the receiving end feels it. So, for example, things like nonstop jokes being passed over. Um, all the time for, in the for workplace jobs. for for promotion or even being asked to be part of you know exciting projects right. they're there and especially when most of the jokes we know jokes within it are hidden kernels of truths so for folks on the receiving end when every punchline is, is about blacks and duckies and so forth. The joke punchline isn't funny no. for those on the receiving end, and it can actually be stressful for us. And absolutely, it harms us. absolutely. I mean, it. Well, it's just unfair, and it's and, and it and it shouldn't be around. And I guess I would have liked to have thought that at least in the cities, we know that in the more rural areas where there's maybe not as much exposure, so they might be scared of things that are different. Um, there may be less tolerance, but I would have thought in the cities that people see the big mixture of people that we have everywhere and and understand that we need all of the different types of people if we're going to have, you know, a, a, a nice, well-rounded society. But you're saying that, no, even in the cities, you, you get passed over for things and... Oh, definitely. Def- I've worked in professional environments. Yeah. And the racism, of, I'm talking about very high highly professional environments. And so the racism I receive on the street compared to the workplace is actually worse. And they are the most insidious. They are the ones that harms us. They are the ones that give black people disadvantage without being able to do anything about it. I right. mean, being passed over for work that you're qualified to do, there's not much you can do about it, but it can affect your life chances. Yeah, absolutely. Where you can live, health care that you can provide for your family, places that you can stay, your career, those are the racism that people don't talk about and that they are called systemic racism. Right. They are the ones that affect us <clears throat> right? because they give us negative outcomes, not being able to be selected yeah. for employment, not being able to afford health care like I was talking about, they are the ones that hurt us. Can I say this to your listeners? I would rather someone saying a slurs at me on the streets. Than to be this subtle kind of... Rather than having the racism, the structural racism at workplace, which stops me from progressing in my career. Those are the ones that we don't talk enough about. And those are the ones that harm us. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I can see that it would. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about why you've set this up in the first place because you've talked about having a corporate career and I'm going to get you to tell me your life story. But why have you set this up? Why did you start this business? Mm. I was hoping you would ask me that question. (laughs) Something happened to me 
at the place I was working, that caused me to act. Right. I can't say more about that particular workplace or the incident, but it was so pivotal. It got me to act. So, so another reason. Yeah, yeah, no, go. You go. Go, go. Another reason that got me to start this business was the killing of George Floyd, the brutal killing of the black man yes. on the street. Everywhere. Of the United States of America. It shook me to the core. Yes. And by that time, I had already enrolled to undertake research work to understand why black people everywhere face discrimination. <laughs> yeah. And what I found was quite disturbing. Right. Tell, and, tell, and so tell I, us. I, I started... Everyday inclusion. Right. So there was. In Australia, so you say, I should tell you, in Australia, for example, nearly 50% of all Indigenous people in the workplace suffers racial discrimination. This is not in America. This is here yeah, in Australia. Yeah, and this is absolutely disgusting. I mean, really, to hear something like that would break the hearts of, I would think, an awful lot of women um, who would be listening to this. It's just shocking. So so when did you set it up, Gloria? What, so obviously something had happened. Was this before the pandemic or during the pandemic? Or It, it happened before the pandemic. And, then did, right. and did and, the and pandemic kind of give you the time to go, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm actually going to go I'm going to actually oh. do something about this. I had enough. <laughs> yeah. To good. be honest with you, I was sick of the jokes that's been made to me at workplaces about my hair, about my skin colour, about the clothes I wear. Oh, my God. What I ate and what I didn't eat. Right. I've been called racist slurs in a broad daylight, walking on the street. Oh, my God. In a queue at a supermarket. The only place that's safe for black-skinned people is in our homes. Which is just shocking. I mean, even to just say that is shocking because certainly I look at what's going on in America and and the, the horrific use of guns and violence against black people, and, and particularly men over there. It seems that they can't walk out the front door without somebody, you know, um, yeah, balling them up and, and the police and everything. But you would like to think it's not happening here. And, of course, you know, you're here to tell us it is happening. Okay, so um, enough of that for now. I want to hear about your life. So can you take me back to when you were in high school and tell me what was your family like? What did your parents do? Did you like school? Mm. Yeah, so I was born in Ghana, West Africa, <laughs> Okay, just for people that are listening yep. to um, visualise. And Ghana and Nigeria, a lot of people know about Nigeria, are very close neighbours, a bit like Australia and New Zealand. Oh, okay. So, so we are the baby, the little sister, and Nigeria is our big sister, just like the relationship with Australia and New, New Zealand. Zealand. Right. So I grew up with many siblings, um, unofficial adopted children that my parents <laughs> took home. Oh, that's great. From the street. Um, what great parents. Well, because they were in a system where well off because they had my mum 
I had a business in, in bakery oh, and, and my father had, you know, white collar job. And so in that standard, they were well off. And so any kids on the street that needed help, they just took them in. Oh, so my I God, I love that. So many brothers and sisters. <laughs> I, I can't even, you know. At one point, there were nine of us. Okay, how, ma- how many? A- how many birth brothers and biological brothers and sisters have you got? Was oh, it a- that's just me? Oh my goodness! But we had oh. nine or more. Oh, I love living that. with us at any time, and they are all close brothers and sisters now. And oh, I you love know, that. I'm, I'm sort of sharing that in Australian context, but we are just brothers and sisters. We don't have to be. Biological. No, no, no. I, just- <laughs> I understand that. I just didn't know whether you'd grown up with four of you that had grown to nine or one of you, but one of you is, is pretty amazing. So you grew up in Ghana. Was it a country town or was it a city? Yeah, both. I lived in both um, situations. So I live in a, in a kind of a, a country town. Yeah. I was born in a place similar to Penrith. So Penrith, New South Wales. So okay. if you can visualise that. Um, and then I live well, also in, in, in the city. Well, in what way was it similar? Just a similar size, are you saying? Similar size. Yep, okay. And, and, and demographics. Yeah. And then I live also in this capital city of Accra. Right. Um, where I was at, I went to my high school and things like that. Okay, so did you? Did, primary. Yeah. I went to a primary Catholic girls or girls school. <laughs> <laughs> Very strict yes. with the nuns. Oh my god, the whole lot. <laughs> oh, I had to have a white my uniform were white and it need to be as white as snow. No, the whole and school uniform was white. Yes. That is the most and ridiculous colour I've I ever know. heard. How can you uniform. play and not get yourself dirty? Exactly. <laughs> Crazy. Who picked that I would never know. But the funny funniest thing is it had to be so white but also Iron with starch. I don't know whether it's <laughs> yes, used here in Australia. It is. So Makes that it, it stands up. It's straight. Right. <laughs> and and the funny thing is they were more worried and cared about a uniform being white and straight than whether we had food in our tummies to be able to actually sit in the classroom and absorb what we were learning. Isn't that is so mad. <laughs> so so you went then you went to the city for high school. Did you like school? Yes, I did like school and I actually had a bit of a, a non-eventful upbringing because I was quite straight and conscientious sort of kid and you know, I don't have any colourful stories to tell you. Um, you just did and what I you wish were told. I, did. I think that came later on when I came to Australia as an adult. <laughs> um, but in my childhood, you kind of have one, you know, opportunity for everything when you grew up in a very poor country. And so you try to make the best out of it and not try to cause any problems and oh, good sort girl. of stra- stay straight line, that kind of thing. Okay, so what year did you say? So did you go to year 12? Is it is there I 12? I finished year 12, that's right. Well and done. I came to Australia straight after. Wow, that. why? Why? That, I mean, leaving your family <laughs> when I you've just finished because- school. Well, I kind of wanted something else in my life. Right. And that education meant everything. And I think we were drummed into our brains that 
if you were educated, you're going to be successful in life. And Ghana being so poor in opportunities, um, I had a, a family that were living here in Australia. So it was sort of the next right. best thing yeah. to be in the West, you know, that that's where it all happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were told. So, so, but talk to me about how scared were you to be leaving oh. Ghana to come to this strange country that was miles away that, I mean, I was 11 when we moved here and I remember thinking there'd be oh, ca- wow. kangaroos dancing down the streets <laughs> and, you know, all that stuff that, all that stuff that you, when you don't know a country really at all. And I also thought how weird that Christmas was going to be summer and that, you know, summer was going to be winter and all those sorts of, of, you know, coming from the other side of the world. So how was it for you? I I mean, how scared were you? I I want to hear about the actual... This is going to shock some of your listeners, but... um... (laughs) Look, I thought that there were kangaroos keeping kangaroos yeah. everywhere. So I was a bit disappointed when I came and I, I had to actually go to the bush to see one. <laughs> I thought they were just, you know, everywhere on the street. Like we are, we live amongst things like, you know, the wild. So that was interesting. But they, about a few days before the trip, I actually did not know where Australia was. As, as a 17, 18 year old. Do you know, I went to Jamaica as a 28 year old and I didn't know Jamaicans were black. So there you go. I arrived and was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm the only person because I went and lived in the ghetto. So what was it like for you? Tell me, tell me. It was just bizarre. And so when I, so you just imagine having your close families around a kitchen table looking at a battered map you know <laughs> we didn't have computers where we can google and sort of yeah so looking it. at an old and map so, you know we found a map from a local library and when we spotted where australia was i just burst into tears oh, glory. because i just i was like oh my gosh this is so far how will i ever be able to come back home yeah of course <laughs> so, and the other thing that was quite strange is that Coming to the West is the ultimate thing that everyone aspires to. Right. When you live in the third world countries like Ghana. And so even though I was scared shitless (laughs) to do and back on this trip, I couldn't really let that show because people, my cousins, they were like, Aren't you so lucky, lucky to yeah. have this opportunity? And so even though I had, you know, butterflies in my tummy and knotted tummy, I couldn't really let them know right. that one, I was scared to go on an aeroplane. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> I haven't been to time. one. <laughs> first time. And secondly, it's so far and, you know, I've learned English at school, but, it wasn't that great because you come home and you go back into the native language that I was leaving all my clothes, everything I knew behind. I couldn't really let it show. I had to be a bit about how amazing the opportunity is. So all my fears were realized when I actually set foot on the country. Why? And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is quite scary. Yes. In a huge country. (laughs) Australia is huge. It is. Compared to Ghana. The whole of Ghana 
is the size of Victoria. Yes, well, I come from Ireland and Ireland fits three times into Victoria. <laughs> so, yeah. So when you, you <laughs> think about it, the number of po- the population is the same number as Ghana, but the size of Victoria. Yeah. So Australia, you feel lost. You feel like you're in this desert land, lost. Yeah, huge. And it, so you, everywhere you travel is far to get to. So yeah. did you fly into Sydney? Was that your first, is that where you started your life in Australia? I I travel from Ghana to Cairo, and oh. then Cairo to uh, Philippines, and Philippines to Sydney. And did you stop off along the way, or that was just the flight, and you were just sort of st- stopping for fueling, or did you stop and spend time there? I stopped for about a couple of days in okay. Cairo. What was oh, that don't like? Ask me, don't, ask, <laughs> don't ask me about that. Cairo was. I didn't have a good experience. I almost got lost. Oh, no. Into Because they, something happened and they wouldn't speak to you in English. And I was almost directed. And, and think about it. This is a late teenager. So I'm an adult, a but teenager quite young. But left home for the first time in a completely strange land in a country where they don't speak English. I think you're allowed to be a bit scared. I would have been. Oh, yeah. And and, and they almost directed me to a wrong bus. And so had I, and even to this day when I think about it, I get goosebumps because had I hop on that bus, I would have been, it wouldn't have taken me to the right hotel. And so everything would have been quite scary. And I wouldn't have known where I would have ended up. But for by the grace of God, I didn't hop on and that wasn't my bus. And so that was my experience of Cairo and it wasn't pleasant. And I I still, I I get quite worried when I think about what would have happened. Um, But, yeah, there was this divine intervention. I didn't hop on it. I ended up hopping on the right one. Got on the right bus. Did you see the pyramids? That's the big question when it comes to Cairo. I didn't. You didn't? I I wasn't there long enough to see it, but, you know, Uh, it's it's on my list. Something to go and see one day. Okay, so let's jump forward to you arrived in Australia. Uh, What did you do then? (sighs) It, It was... A shock in the system. It was in September and I felt cold. Yeah, <laughs> right. How come I'm – yeah, it was freezing September, um, coming from the tropics, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, I basically engaged in learning straight away, Jules. So did you? what did so, you do, go to uni or – I went to TAFE to start yeah, with. Yeah. So I actually – sort of took the rest of the year off. I, I, I remember being September, so sort of coming to the end of the yes. year and I just spent time with my family that were here, getting to know exp- their friends and sort of settling in. Um, there was a new baby in the family, so I spent quite a long time uh-huh. bonding with the baby and, and so forth. But then the new year, so come I think late January or early February, 
I enrolled in TAFE because I always wanted to be a fashion designer. <laughs> Don't laugh. You'd be a great and, fashion designer, I'm sure. So that's the first course I did. I did fashion technology because my mum had a sewing business and I secretly always wanted to make dresses and, <laughs> you know, look pretty. Gorgeous. And so I enrolled in that thinking that, you know, I will – make something out of it and it was great i met my best friend ah. kavita so she's an indian lady she's yeah. now living in the united states she got married and left a few years ago but it was beautiful to meet kavita and because she was also migrated here um, I think she would have been about two when they moved from India oh, to Australia. Okay. Yep. So she knew Australia way of life because she's gone to her schooling here. And she became like almost like a mentor to me. Um, and it was just a beautiful friendship. She lived in Man um, a place called Parramatta right. um, in Sydney. And then I live in a place called Rooty Hill because that's where my family I know Rooty Hill. I've been to yeah. Rooty Hill when I lived in Sydney. Yeah. And so we met um, a lot. Um, we were close by. And oh, how fabulous. It, it was a fantastic yeah. experience at uni. I enjoyed that fashion designer. But I'll tell you one thing. I had a placement while I was doing the course. It was a one-year course. And guess where my placement was? I have no idea. Jane Fox. I don't, Do you know Jane Fox? No, I don't know Jane Fox. They are no longer in business, but it was one of the most amazing bridal shops. Oh, okay. They make all their dresses in Australia and they had um, like a, a warehouse thing in Parramatta. And that's where my placement was. So oh, lucky right. me, yeah. I was doing my um, fashion design course and that was my placement for about 10 weeks. Oh. And I loved it. You know, sewing little um, beads on wedding you dresses. You loved that. And, I couldn't think of uh, anything worse. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. Was, well, and you will see the most... Um, stunning dresses. ...high-profile people coming oh, and yeah, getting okay. their wedding dresses. But I think I was too new to understand, like, remember the names of people that came to the shop. No. But apparently it's a shop that, you know, the very well-to-do people came and bought their wedding dresses. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what happened next? You've done this fashion design course and done your placement. What what happened next that you've ended up in consulting? Mm. I, um, the fashion design course didn't really take off I, I didn't get that kind of break I think it was more something that I love fashion yeah. and I needed to get it out of my system I knew that well, that wasn't going to be what will no, um, but the, bring food to the table and I'm so sure I'm, the universe wanted you to meet Kavita as well and just have a right. really great experience for your first job so mm. yeah so so I interrupted you what what did you do next then I knew that I needed to do something bigger. I wanted to go to university. But what I have done in Ghana was equivalent to, it wasn't quite year 12. It was more equivalent to year 10, which is high school certificate. Right. Okay. So we call it general school certificate back in Ghana. Yeah. And so in order to get into university, because I'm becoming an adult, 
was to go in as a mature age student. So I did like right. a, a tertiary preparation course at TAFE. Yep. And that's what got me into university. And what did you get into? What course did you do? <laughs> oh, goodness. She wants to know everything She about wants to know. I told you I was nosy. <laughs> well, I did environmental management again. Ah. <laughs> it was my heart desire to save the environment. And so why don't I go and study that and so that I can help businesses to save the environment. Yeah. And that was a wonderful um, three years. Yeah. I met my husband, oh. my children's Great. Um, father. father <laughs> and there. So everywhere I've been, there's been a reason been, for me exactly. to be there. And can I say this is when I really learned to love life at university. It was the best thing. You don't have your mom and dad watching you behind your back. No. You're with adult thinkers. You are, the world is under your feet yes. to do whatever you want to do. And I had the best time. I tell you, university was my best time in my life. Uh, I, know. I, think I, it, was, I think it is for most people that went to uni. And I have to say, I've got a 20-year-old son that spent the first two years that he should be at uni at home, locked down. Oh, with the lockdown. I know. And oh. I just, I, I like you, I, I remember it kids. so much as being such a oh. huge part of my life. So, you know, I, I really hope that they can start it next year. But I'm delighted to hear that. You had such a good time. Oh, I was involved in everything, <laughs> in sports, in music, in um, another thing I was involved, Christian fellowship group. Yeah. We went camping. We went dancing. It was, we have festivals of the festival. And I went to university. It used to be called University of Western Sydney. Yeah. It's now Western Sydney University. Right. A campus called Hawkesbury Campus. And the campus is at Richmond. The Richmond campus used to be the old agricultural college. Right. So does that give you a bit of imagery what, you know, agricultural college? Yes, it, it does. Like? Yeah, great. We had a place called Stable Square. So we had our own um, I guess a gig venue where we have gigs and yes, people will right. come and hang out on Friday night. It was the best time. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. So let me bring you back down to earth. So <laughs> what was the job after that? What was the job after that? What job? Okay, this is where um, reality set in because I've had this amazing time at uni I come out of university and I couldn't get a job. What do you mean you couldn't? None at all. I couldn't find a job. Right. I could not find a job in what I studied in. So then I made it the point that I might not find a job that I've studied in, but surely I'll find a nice professional job somewhere. Anyway, that took quite some months oh, for that to come no. well, well, it kind of does, I have to say, for most people now. But, yeah, um, but yeah but it's demoralising. I think racism has something to do with it. You know, and I had a thick accent as well. Right. And I could not find a job. And I've, you know, I've clocked up a hex debt. Yes. 
that needed to be paid, but I couldn't find a job. But eventually I got a break because I got involved volunteering like I do, yeah. very active sort of person <laughs> that I couldn't just be stuck at home. I said, no, I'm not doing that. So then I'll go and do volunteering work. And the voluntary work, actually, this is where my advocacy, my love for advocacy started. Because I wasn't actually aware that there was poverty in Australia. I think that being the rich and everyone was well off, you know, that's how we've been taught. And then I've come to Australia, I've gone to university but I didn't know that there were sessions of our society on poverty. Yeah. And so the advocacy work then got me into working with the youth. Ah. And then I, um, my biggest break was a white man giving me a job in the inner west. And that was the start of my advocacy work because I work with kids between the ages of uh, 18 to 24. So, you know, young adults. Yeah, young adults. um, Who are on the brink of becoming long-term unemployed. Right. And you help them find work. And that's what I help them through mentorship. And it was an amazing, it just changed my life because then I realized, you know, yes, I want to save trees, but right now I want to save people, people first. first. yeah. And um, our work was quite um, sort of recognized by the government at the time. It was the Harvard government and they saw the work we were doing in youth. I remember being invited to come to Canberra. Oh, wow. Um, to talk a little bit about the work we did. Um, and, yeah, I, I got a, a special invitation by a minister called Mel Bruff. Right. He was the employment minister at the time. This is going really way back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that was great fun, working in employment services, helping the youth. And, and yeah, I, I was surprised to see that there were youth in the inner west that were on the poverty line. That was a big eye-opener It's actually really shocking and disgusting. And when we see what happened with the pandemic and we were all locked down and all the payments were increased, it just made you you realise that the government could do that for people and take them out of that poverty if they chose to do it. And I know that there's a very hard line thing that says, you know, People shouldn't be given too much money because otherwise they won't bother looking for work. But, I mean, really, to make it that people have to choose between food and accommodation or medicine and food is is disgusting in this country, I think. Well, sometimes they need a bit of help. Yeah. You know, when systemic racism continue to provide disadvantage for people for generationally, yeah. They can't compete. We are not all starting life no, on the plain level no, field. That's true. Yeah. This is what people don't understand. And so then to just say, well, here's opportunity, just take it. Perhaps they need a place to actually a stable home. 
to start with, first, yeah, yeah. To start with, in order to actually keep the job that you are offering them, yeah, yeah. And, and this is the bit that we miss, and so that was a real opener, an eye opener to me that there were poverty in Australia, and and people were on the poverty line that needed basic, basic help for you know food shelter and clothing to to survive to yeah be able to hold a job yeah it's it's terrible really so uh can you just we haven't got too much longer but i want to hear a little bit more about your career to now so you worked with those disadvantaged youth which is just amazing and i'm sure made a huge difference to them especially any that had come from africa to see a woman that had gone to university that was smart you know that would have been such so important for them particularly the girls as role models so what did you do next gloria so I um, I just kept working. I had children. I took some time off to raise my kids. Yeah. I'm one of those really, you know, blessed women who were able to just step back from career and just bring my children up. Oh, and lucky. It, it's I, just would... so beautiful. And and that was a significant time. It was about a decade of my, my okay. career. So how I old are your that. kids now? I should ask. My youngest is sixteen. Okay, I've got fifth. I've got twins who are about to turn sixteen. Oh wow! It's a great and age. Your youngest? They are my youngest. So there's two of them, and then my eldest is twenty. Um, oh well, I've got four. So starting wow. from thirty to um, sixteen. Two stepkids from thirty to sixteen. So yeah. Wow, that's a that's a good span. Okay, so um, what was the basic? Keep going. Tell me. Tell me up until when you decided to start um, inclusive. The inclusive um, voices. Is it? I can't remember what the name is. It's everyday inclusion. Everyday inclusion. Everyday sorry. Inclusion. So yes. So for many years, being raising my kids, I served on community boards and volunteer capacity. I mean, this is what's been taught to me from my parents, and so everywhere there's a need, and I really want to share this to segue to how I I do what I yeah, do now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I engage in community work. And one memorable fundraising activity I did was um, Festival of the Green. And this saw the attendance of the garden guru, Costa. Costa oh, yeah, from yeah, Garden from Australia. Come to our local school and be part of that activity and as part of the festival community, I think we raised over 20000 for this, that wow. one event. Wow, incredible. So in my work, um, I've, I've served on PNC Executive Committee for some time. And in 2019, I was voted as the president of PNC for a high school wow. in the local area yeah. after serving on the executive for a long time. Now, this is an interesting fact. There's been four people be in the role of the PNC for this particular school. Yeah. One of them is Susan Templeman, who is the federal member. Ah, okay. The other one is Trish Doyle, who is a state member. 
So ah. I'm sharing this to show you the caliber of the candidate for this pre and you PNC got it. president. And I'm the fourth one. There's only been four people. Wow, and I'm the Gloria, fourth one. congratulations. So whilst I've been accepted into many community roles, like I've just explained to you, when I went back after raising my beautiful kids back into the workforce, I was treated with suspicion, dismissiveness, no. and constant surveillance. And this treatment baffled me because I'm used to being in a really high roles within the community. Yeah. But in the workplace, I was treated differently because I, I was black. Oh, my and gosh. And that really went on for years. I mean, it went on before I had the kids and in my younger career. But now, you know, after You're kids, older, I'm a little right. bit wiser, <laughs> mature. So, so, Gloria, tell me, did you call them out? Did you go and talk to your bosses and say, why is this going on? Or were they just saying it's not and denying it? Well, if you call it out, you lose your job, Jules. Right. That's what happens. I would have thought that there were laws that stopped them being allowed to fire you in a way that you could get them. No. That's that's what they say. There's laws. But the laws are made by white, white people, the dominant group. Yeah. And so the laws then asks you, the person who is on the receiving end of racism, to prove that racism indeed happened. Right. And you need to have people, witnesses, to say that racism really happened in order for the law to do anything about it. Oh, my this God. This is why racism continues. I had no idea. Do you know? I honestly thought it was the other way around, that you would accuse someone of racism and they would have to prove that they hadn't done it, which would be you, much fairer. That would, That is right. how the law should be. That's how the law should be. I can didn't you go, know that. Can you tell them that? <laughs> well. You have, well, the person who's on the receiving end have to prove that it happened and you also, not only that, have to have witnesses. Witnesses, which is. And a, a lot of the time in the workplace, nobody is going to go and say, yes, I witnessed it because if they do, their job is on the line. Of course. See how unfair uh, it is? Uh, yes, I do. And now I see why you've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to become a politician or something, I think, Gloria. <laughs> I think that's going to be the next thing for you. But oh my that law needs to be changed. I didn't know that exists. That's a little bit like rape victims having to prove with witnesses that they've been raped, which, of course, they oh, I'm shocked. I didn't know that. that that's why racism continues. This is. is what we are banging our heads against. So that and, law and we, has got to be changed. It's got to be it, changed. It's got to be changed. And so, you know, it, it's, and the impact on people that are dealing with this every day is enormous. Yeah. You know, yeah. the feelings of stress, the feelings of uh, um, uh, sadness, the feeling that you could walk out of your house on the street and anyone can have a go at you. Shout a slur at you. 
I, I just had enough. Yeah. I met. So good, this is good. What I feel is, the same it, way about women. <laughs> I had enough. So this is leading to what I do now. I honestly had enough. Right. It was traumatizing. I was being traumatized every single day at work. And I made a vow to myself. Gosh, I'm getting teary good. about this. Oh, Something happened. And I made a vow that not an employer, not a manager, not a CEO was going to get away from this insidious, dangerous art of racism anymore. Uh, I've, I've done it. I've had enough. Good. I was done with it. And as far as what I was concerned, racism was not going to be allowed to impact on my life anymore. I'm clapping in case anyone so wonders. So I became my boss. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so pleased. With a big B-O-S-S. Yes, yes. And a she-boss, which I love. But also um, I think it, it, for a lot of people it does take something that is just too much, that takes you. It's that little bit that goes too far and you go, right, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I've got to make a change happen. So I'm delighted that you're going to, Gloria, and I wonder if you, you should be going for Prime Minister. You are the kind of woman that when she sets her mind to it, does it. I would love to see a black Prime Minister in Australia. Oh, my God. A black woman. Woo-hoo. We need to sort out our First Nations issues first. We and do. We do. We can um, yeah, know, talk about it, black Africans. No, but if even look, whether it's – anyhow. I don't mind. We. I just would like. I. I don't want Scott Morrison. Put it that way. And, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and I. I never get political in this, so I'm not going to go on anymore. Talk to me. Since um, you've started your own business, have there been any women that have helped you, or women oh. that have helped you in your careers that you? Only because I feel that we hear a lot about men all the time helping, and I just thought if there are women helping other women, then we need to celebrate them. I know that a lot of your listeners and are probably making assumption are white women. Uh, oh, uh, I wouldn't say half and half, but they're a mixture, but a lot of them a would mixture. be, yes. Can I say that a lot of my racism traumas in the workplace were caused by white women? Wow, you can. Absolutely. We need to yeah, tell they everyone. They were caused by white women. It was women I've doing never- this to you. So it's really interesting when we talk about gender equity and sexism, it's really important for us to also hear from women of colour, black women narrative, because white women have perpetrated harm to us in a workplace for generations and it needs to be said. Yeah. White women has caused so much racial trauma. I run a podcast for Voice Everyday Racism. Yeah. And I've had over a thousand people engage on that platform. Yeah. And a lot that come on that platform, their workplace racism and bullying are by white women. Wow. And so it's really important for white women to hear this. Yes, it is. Because you're causing us so much, and it could be that because of your own hustles with white men, and so then you project it to other women of color. Yeah. But it needs to stop. It does. It's usually by white women. I am horrified to hear that, except I hear it. I don't know that it's just happening to black women. I hear that in the workplace, 
and and this is only anecdotally that there are a lot of situations where um where women <coughs> are not helping other women and that when you come out of that and you go into entrepreneur land so where you go to women being business owners, I do believe the support is there. And women are telling me that they notice a dramatic difference between leaving an office where somebody's being a bitch, basically, and trying to cut them off and walking all over them to get to the top compared to outside where we're all business owners and we're trying to support each other. Please tell me you've had that little bit of that experience as well. I have had a lot. Oh, gosh, I have. Oh. But I just wanted to yeah, say no, that going. in the workplace, but in business, goodness, I've had men and women all. Oh. Oh, good, good. And so I, I've had mentors. Thank God. I just, I just don't want to hear that it's got, it's happening everywhere. I'm I've horrified been, in the workplace, though. That that all is. All right. I have to give a shout out to a woman, a white woman, called Ro Sheridan, who had mentored me in my earlier career. Yeah. And just saw my skills and my abilities right. rather than my skin color. Yeah. And that means a lot, you know. Gosh, I'm getting teary. I know. I'm get, well, I'm she, getting a bit teary hearing she's what you've been through. one white woman that just decided, I'm just going to look at what Gloria has to offer rather than her accent or her skin colour or her hair. And that goes a long way. Yeah. And she, that really has helped me. So I know when I have a manager that isn't good because she's my model. <laughs> and she is like, you're great. not like her. Why are you picking up on this? Look at what I can do and what I can bring. Yeah. Um, and so she is beautiful. Another great mentor who gave me a break is John Cross. So he's a white man yep. and, and he helped me. My husband Good. is yes. my great mentor, Craig Binks. He's great. <laughs> he, do, he does all the back-end stuff for my business. Brilliant. And I couldn't do it without him. He does all the boring admin stuff. Oh, he's a good man. He sounds like a keeper, as oh, they say. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, you know, it, when you talk about who's helped you in your business, I also look at just everyday women and people. My parents-in-law, for yes. example. I would do, and I would die for them, my parents-in-law. I hope that uh, sometimes I'm, I'm mad at them, so I hope they're not hearing this <laughs> because I don't tell them that much enough. But they're beautiful, and they support me day in and day out. You know, those people. That's and, and, you know, and they're hiring, like, Oprah Winfrey and people like that that you look up to. But the everyday people in, in my household and... My, oh, I'm my so family. pleased, yeah. 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 I think family's important, but I do think, as you mentioned, Oprah, that it's important that we see ourselves reflect. I mean, this is my mission is to find diverse women and put them on television because I just don't think we see them. But it's the same thing because if you see someone on television, you think that they must be special, so therefore everyone's really nice to them. So that way we can kind of, you know, have all these women that are – 
that are in authority roles. But I'm so glad anyway that you that you do have uh, that you've you've got all those people around you, but that also there have been some role models along the way that that you know that you can say I can you know Barack Obama was just so wonderful, wasn't it? To show <laughs> anyone can become pre- president. So oh yes, and Michelle Obama, yes, and Michelle, gosh, she's an amazing too. All right, we haven't got very much time left, so I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions. When it comes to work and business, there are so many women who drive themselves so hard that they burn out. I like to ask. How do you juggle work and life? Are you sent do are weekends and evening, you know, are you doing nine to five or are you working all the time or how, how does it work? I structure myself and just go really hard at it and then have oh, some good. time good. off. I'm an early riser, so I'm usually up quite early. Um and every day I'm doing some kind of movement. So I'm doing either yoga before I start. Yeah. So I've had yoga this morning. I've taken my daughter to uh, an interview this morning. (laughs) I had a meeting before you, but I'm an early riser and I'll do all those things and then I crash by the time the end of the day. So it's a full day, but I I also like to run. Oh, you're a runner. I'm a runner. So my knee is allowing me to do that, you know, Still, and I would disappear. I live in the beautiful Blue Mountains, right? The dark nations, and I'm able to disappear and just be among trees. Oh, wow! So, the days of my so, when you say you run, how far do you run? Before I haven't been that well, but before all my um problems, I, I will run, gosh. Five Ks every day before work. Right. Okay. Just really quick run. Beautiful. Because you step out of my house and there's bushes and things around and I'll just disappear into the bush five Ks and come quickly before I start work. So, you know, if you count all that, it's about between – 20 and 50 case a week I'll be doing. Yeah, great. Wow. And that, I, ad- that I, admire, I admire any women who can run. I have to say, I just, I, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I always think, God, if there was anything that really happened that I'd have to run, I'd be in a terrible bind. But um, I, at least I'm walking a bit now. But you like walking, so that's I good do. too. And I love being it? around other people. So that's my, my big thing. Now, for you, one quirky fact. Is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing with me? Oh, well, the thing about working in a bridal shop. <laughs> that's that definitely a, a quirky one. one. Sewing little sequins on a wedding oh, no, dress. I think the thing that struck me most so far is <laughs> is your white school uniform that was starched within an inch of its life for a primary school student. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? And that was the work for our parents to do. It's shocking. Yeah. It's like, ask whether I've got breakfast in my tummy. <laughs> yes, you exactly. Know? Especially, yeah, being in, coming from a poor country, but they're more concerned about having straight white starch uniform. I wonder if that came from the nuns. <laughs> All right. Um, very, very last question, just in case. I don't know if you use your phone very much, but I love my phone. So it's not to do with anything other than I'm being nosy again. Are there any great business apps that you use that um, I might not have heard of? Oh, gosh. 
I'm a, such an old-fashioned person, to be honest no, with you. No, that's fine. Not, I'm not even on Facebook. Can you believe oh, it? Oh, how am I going to tag you for this for this interview if you're not on oh, Facebook? LinkedIn, LinkedIn is your LinkedIn is, is your thing. It's my thing because I just don't have the time, and I don't believe in it. So there's yeah. probably really great apps out there, um, but I've got no idea because. I'm no, no, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. Isn't it I, terrible? No, it isn't. I reckon of all the people that I ask, 50% probably give me um, an answer of an app that they do. 50% say they're never on their phone. And then I ask people, do they play games on their phone? And I think there's only been three out of about 200. And I'm like, yep, I still do Candy Crush and Words with Friends. And they say, oh, well, no, don't no, do any of that. No, I don't. Um, and it makes me look. Pretty it does not. not. Don't be silly. Talk sort of person. It doesn't. It but, makes you look like yeah. everybody else. Don't worry about it. No, so, I, I don't. To be honest, I, I haven't got time for apps. Yeah, exactly. Um, only the ones that sort of business um, related. Um, yes. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So, only once. I oh, oh, I do have one Strava. Oh, what do you do with Strava? So Strava is a running. Oh, it's the running one. Yep. Running up. See, I've got my. My sister-in-law tried to get me to join up and I joined up and it started sending me texts and I was like, I don't want to have this. I don't want anybody yeah. hassling me. But I understand if you're into your running, it's great. So right. my last thing, Gloria, is if anyone's listened to this and loves the sound of you, which I'm sure they will, what is the best way to get hold of you? Have you got a website as well as your LinkedIn profile? Yes, I do. Can you tell us what so it is? It is www everyday inclusion yes dot com dot au fantastic i'm also on linkedin gloria tabby mm-hmm. you'll find me there and that's it because we know you're not on facebook <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible i've been told to get on it to sort of connect with businesses who knows i might do that in the next well if you ever do then you must go on to the facebook group for she's the boss because all the women in there will love you (laughs) okay so I, i might join it just for that okay well that would be well worth it so Gloria, thank you so, so much for this lovely interview. You're an incredible woman. I really want you to think about getting into politics and aiming for that top job. You'd be brilliant at it. We need people that have experienced disadvantage and that understand what inclusion really is. So um, I applaud you. I congratulate you for what you're doing. And I thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me, Jules. I really appreciate that. My absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sTheBoss.com.au.